This episode of Spawned is brought to you by Homer, the learn-to-read app for kids 2 to 8 that is not only fun for kids, but with just 15 minutes a day of use, it's proven to increase reading scores by 74%. Sign up now at learnwithhomer.com slash Spawned, and Spawned listeners get a two-month free trial. That's learnwithhomer.com slash Spawned. This episode of Spawned is also brought to you by MyBabyGift.com, an online store carrying a wide range of baby and newborn gifts, now up to 50% off, plus free shipping on all orders over $40. Plus, Spawned listeners get an extra 15% off when you use code COOLBABY at MyBabyGift.com. Hello and welcome to Spawned, a common sense and hopefully fun discussion on parenting and parenting culture. Hey, I'm Kristen Chase. And I'm Liz Gumbiner, and we're the co-founders of CoolMomPicks.com. On today's episode of Spawned, we are going to be talking to Dr. Rachel Cowart about video games and kids. She is a video game expert. How does one oh become gosh, one of those? Oh my gosh, I don't know, but my kids want that job. I know. <laughs> well, they got to go to a lot of school, apparently. She's got a PhD, so... Oh my <laughs> gosh, a PhD for video games. That's like a dream. I know. Well, this is a good time to talk about this with the holidays coming up. I imagine there might be a few video games coming into nah, the Nah, I don't think so, Liz. I don't think anyone's <laughs> getting video games. Sorry. Santa. So we're going to have a great talk with Dr. Rachel. And of course, we will close out with our cool picks of the week. All right. So let's talk a little bit about Rachel so people know what it means to be a video game expert. I don't even know if she calls herself that, but we're calling her that. She's actually a research psychologist from Austin, Texas. Hey, that's one of my favorite places. She has a PhD in psychology from the University of York and an MA in counseling psychology from Santa Clara University. And she has dedicated her career to studying video games. Oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> I'm excited. Oh Plus, my you know what? I'm really impressed seeing she's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, New York Magazine, Texas Public Radio. Like, she's a pretty amazing lady. And she's the author of the award-winning book, A Parent's Guide to Video Games, which would make sense from a video game expert. So, so, welcome, Rachel. Hi. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you for joining us. We're so excited to talk to you about this. Well, I'm excited to talk with you. Video games are my jam. <laughs> I know. How, tell me how you got into that. Yeah, well, I've played video games my whole life. I have an older brother, so I've also watched other people play video games my whole life. And I never really realized it could be a career choice until I was doing my master's at Santa Clara. And in the counseling program, you have to do counseling, obviously. Um, and I was seeing a lot of parents who were concerned about the effects that video games were having on their children. So this was 2005, which was the World of Warcraft peak of popularity. Ah. So there was a lot of concern. What are these online games? What are the social effects of them? Should I be worried? Should I not? And that's when I started to think, okay, there might be something here. A lot of parents are concerned. I was playing a lot of World of Warcraft. So <laughs> I was starting to be concerned about myself. Um, <laughs> um, and that's how I decided to pursue it as a research career. Wow, that's fantastic. I'm curious, though. You were playing it in your downtime. How did you have time to play video games? You're doing a master's degree. I'm impressed. I have no idea. You probably but had I'll no tell kids. You. No kids, right? No children? I had no kids. Yeah, okay. I, I, okay, I, I see. was playing a lot of games, but, you know, PhD, no games. No, no. time for games. <laughs> I feel like there was some kind of Gen X, like, cartoon ages ago where it was, like, dream jobs, and it was, like, a parent's dream, and it was, you know, a kid searching the help wanted. 
methods. And it was like game tester, game researcher, game inventor. And like, here you are doing it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it really is. It's, it is kind of a dream. It's very cool. Well, one of the things that I'm curious about, I mean, I think other than the obvious things that have changed from when we were playing video games as kids and our kids playing video games. And I think we can point out the obvious, but I'm wondering in your research, is there anything in particular that you found that has really changed that maybe is not so obvious to us? The, the obvious one would be the realism in the graphics, but I would say the less obvious one, the one that's talked about most among researchers is the accessibility of games. Oh. Which, when you think about it, see, it is kind of obvious though, right? It's on your phone, it's on your tablet, it's on your watches. I mean, the games used to only be on the Nintendo or the computer and you only had them at home and now you have them everywhere, which I think really fuels a lot of the concerns parents have about, oh, my kids are playing games all the time because they really can play them all the time now <laughs> if they want to. That's so interesting because the first thing that I guess came to my mind was like violence or something, but mm -hmm. that is a really good point that we can play them whenever we want. We could play two at one time. Ubiquity. We could watch people playing video games while we're gaming. But that's true. You didn't <laughs> used to go onto the New York subway and see kids playing on phones, like playing games. They were, you know, I don't know, reading or talking, mm -hmm. <laughs> looking. And right. you're right. Games are everywhere right now. That's a really good point. Yeah. I think it makes it much harder for parents anyway to regulate how many games they're playing because you can't just say, oh, you're only playing games at home. You're playing games everywhere on the subway now. <laughs> well, that's a good <laughs> right? point, though, because, you know, it used to be like, well, you can have one hour of TV a night or one hour of Atari a night. I'm dating myself. I had a sorry. <laughs> you know, it was easier for parents to control. And so what do you think parents are doing now to try to control that gaming time, especially considering the fact that we may not know about all of it? Yeah, I think that we as parents maybe need to reframe our concerns, not so much about the time being spent, but more about what kinds of games are being played. We have a little more control over that. You know, as our children become more independent and older, we have less and less control over, like you said, how much time is being dedicated to it. I think the key is making sure that games are not the only thing that our children are doing. And other than that, just do our best to kind of control that they're having age-appropriate games in their lives. Ah, everything in moderation, it sounds like, which yes. we can definitely appreciate. But I think it was interesting that you pointed out types of games. I mean, other than that and like accessibility that you just talked about, what are some of the other issues that parents are encountering when it comes to video games and kids? Um, violence is the big one. Yeah, That's of course. definitely yeah, yeah. number one. I can understand where the concern comes from. The media coverage about games is almost always about violent video games inevitably must be having a bad influence because they're violent. Mm -hmm. And we had these same arguments before. We had the arguments about violent television. We had the arguments about rock and roll, right? It's just the next in the list of things that's horrible and damaging to our children. I mean, I can go on a little sidebar here about violent video games are not necessarily something to be super concerned about. If you look at the research... Oh, interesting. I remember debating this in a class. It might have been a psychology class where they brought up the issue of games and they gave a scenario. And I remember debating this back, I mean, 20 some years ago. I don't want to say how long it was. But yeah, go for your sidebar. We'd love to hear more about this. This is okay. important. <laughs> 
So if you look at the research that's looked at violent video games and the effects that they have on people who play them, first of all, there are literally thousands of studies that have looked at this Mm -hmm. and not a single one, not one has linked it to violent behavior in real world context. So that's the first. Wow. I think that's probably the opposite of what people believe. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's so important because they're getting misinformation. Parents out there, this is why I wrote the book. I wrote the book because there's so much misinformation and as a research field, we have so much information and it just never seems to escape the bubble of the researchers to get to the parents and the parents are the one who needs this information, you know? And I presume there's also differentiation between like, you know, Lego video game characters bopping each other on the head and like super violent shoot prostitutes on the street while running them over with your car video games, right? <laughs> right. Well, there's right, there's the obvious difference. Um, but there was actually a really interesting study done by a colleague of mine, Malta Elson, at the University of Münster in Germany. And he modified a game. So it was the same game. And you had a gun that shot rainbows and transformed people into, like, kittens or something. Oh, oh. my gosh. <laughs> That's awesome. Had the same <laughs> yeah. It was actually really awesome. Props to Malta. It was really awesome. Um, or you had the same gun and it was, you know, violent and bloody and, and everything. And in terms of the effect it had on violence or aggression, there was no difference. Wow. Really? That's huge. I mean, I can't believe that's not out there, you know, because I-, I agree with you, Liz. I feel like there is this understanding with parents that certain video games are just super violent. But but you did mention age appropriate. And so I'm wondering, you know, if that is something that parents need to key into more more as opposed to looking at violence and objectification of women, which, look, they're both important issues. But I imagine, like you said, age appropriateness is very important. Exactly. I'm not saying that because we have found no effects in these studies that go for it. (laughs) Let your six-year-old play a game where you're killing prostitutes. Definitely not. Do not do that. Um, (laughs) We need to keep in mind, yeah, what is appropriate for our children. So there are age ratings on games for a reason. I cannot tell you how many times I have seen parents in line at Target buying Grand Theft Auto for what looked like eight-year-olds. That's the run over prostitutes with your car and kill them game, by the way, for our listeners who are not familiar. <laughs> that Grand is Theft Auto. Case, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, my biggest concern, honestly, when it comes to games, it's not violent games. It's not video game addiction. It is as parents doing our best to ensure that they're consuming age appropriate content, which is easy to do. You just look at the game. It's got age rating. It has content labels. It tells you why it has that age rating. Is it violent? Is it suggestive? Does it have explicit themes? And we just need to take a minute to to look at that. So I just want to follow up a little bit because you're talking about this study, which is really interesting to me that violent video games don't lead to more violence. But are there any other impacts parents should know about? Like, you know, we talk a lot about desensitization in this culture and normalization of things that shouldn't be normalized. And I'm just wondering, like, when you see violence a lot, are there any negative impacts? I mean, I would think there would be, even if it doesn't create more violent behavior, does it make you less empathetic? I mean, are there other things to watch out for? Great question. So there's a short answer and a long answer. Um, The short answer is desensitization effects from playing video games alone. There is no evidence of that. And the reason for that is that our brains are very good at different differentiating between what is fictional violence and what is real violence. So take Rambo, for instance. There's a lot of violent scenes. Mm -hmm. If you saw those played out in front of you, 
you can imagine how you would feel. And then if you are playing the game Rambo, imagine how you would feel. Your distance from it. Your brain is very good at differentiating that. that oh. You know what? Actually, that makes perfect sense because, you know, there's been research where like very young children are watching a video of a teacher demonstrating something versus a real life teacher demonstrating that same thing that they take in the information more where the person is there mm. in like right in front of them. And so actually it seems like it's kind of the same brain function, right? right. Where you can distinguish for better or for worse, like what's happening on a screen isn't as rich or engaging or real as what's happening right in front of you. Right. And and I think the reason that parents think that video games are distinct media is because they're acting it out, right? Kids have the controller and they are doing the violence versus watching Rambo. Ah, that's a good point. That's a good example. But I do think back to this age appropriate thing, you're saying that the evidence is showing violence doesn't have an effect. However, I'm wondering if it does, if kids are playing games that are not age appropriate for them. If you've got a five-year-old who's playing Grand Theft Auto, not that it's necessarily going to make him more violent, but I mean, is that one of the concerns about kids playing age appropriate games? Like why else should parents really be concerned about kids playing the right game for their level? Well, it would be the same concerns that parents have about children watching an R-rated movie. Okay. Right. So it's more about exposure to things that are maybe a bit explicit for their age. It's not a concern about the effect effects it'll necessarily have on them but like i watched the original it movie when i was like seven oh, God. never oh. the same so it I, see i read all the books i love stephen king books and i, I didn't always like the movies because they were scarier but i love the oh. books i think everyone has a movie that they accidentally saw psycho coma that's what i'm those jaws are my two. for me it was jaws and yeah you're never the same after that so okay no. that makes sense to me that makes sense to me i think i think what's interesting is i really feel like parents think so much about time they think a lot about violence and they don't necessarily say you know what this game isn't age appropriate and how many parents out there other than you Rachel (laughs) um, and maybe Liz because I know she plays video games are actually playing these games either with their kids or before their kids play them to see if they're actually age appropriate. Yeah. And I also know my kids and I think that's part of it, right? Like not just the age because there's one 10 year old that may be fine with zombies and there may be another 10 year old that really wants the game with the kittens shooting rainbows, right? Yes, exactly. Or adults too. I want that game. (laughs) She sure does. I like zombies. (laughs) (laughs) So what about a video game talk? I mean, Liz and I, we have a site called Cool Mom Tech. So we talk about tech a lot. We talk about the digital conversations that you need to have and the tech talk is the new sex talk. Is there a separate kind of video game talk that you recommend or do you think people should be having? Is it part of the tech talk that parents need to be having? I'm just curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think it should be part of the tech talk. I'm not sure that it needs to necessarily be its own separate talk. I think that parents need to talk about balance, right? Video games, just like All technology should just be one of many things in your children's lives. And I think that also, especially now, as more and more games come online, it's almost like you can't play a game offline anymore, I swear. Um, Yeah. You need to talk about um, online danger, stranger danger, not giving away too much information. That sort of thing needs to also be incorporated in the game talk, I think. Well, you know, we talk a lot about tricky people. And I think, Liz, don't you feel like a lot of parents don't know that these games are all played online? I mean, I feel like so many parents don't realize that 
the Xbox and PlayStation, everything is so connected. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think parents know about Minecraft, right? Like we know Minecraft, you know, they're playing on servers, they're playing with their friends, they're playing with other people. But I mean, my son's playing like football. He's playing like Madden. And I'm like, what? Wait. Yeah. I, even how are there I, other people on this? Yeah. Like, no, this no. Happening? Even me. And I feel like I'm fairly video game savvy. One of my daughter's friends came up to me and he's like, hey, you know, we're still PlayStation friends. And I went, huh? oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. like from six years ago, like he connected with me and I went, whatever, because I don't actually play anything with people. And there you go. So for all I know, he can see like what we're playing and, you know, he has some sort of information about us. And I wasn't even thinking about that. So I think you're right, Kristen. Like, I think a lot of parents don't think about the connectivity of video games. And a lot of these games can be played without being online. Right, Rachel? I mean, you know, like you can play these games. I, I would assume many of them. I'm not a super video game person. My kids are. But I think that there's that option, right? For some of these where you can just be like, nope, you got to play alone against the computer, which is like so aging me, right? Well, I think especially for things like for Minecraft, I think that was my kids' real introduction to playing in worlds with other people because they just kind of started to lose interest of just playing with each other. And they wanted to go into other worlds where they could join different servers and play interesting things. And for me, at least, it was a really good opportunity to watch what they were doing, see what the potential pitfalls were, see the good things that came out of it. Some people were really nice and encouraging and creative and helped them build things. To me, that was kind of like our gateway game <laughs> was Minecraft. It was like they weren't just jumping on and playing like kill people eight, you know, <laughs> with like people across the world. No, Minecraft is fantastic. I highly recommend Minecraft. Oh, you would be my kid's favorite. <laughs> I know. Seriously. Because all they want to do is talk about their worlds. And I'll be like, I talked to someone last night on the podcast and she would happily talk to you about Minecraft. Well, so we know and you probably probably know that so many families are going to be getting game consoles at the holidays. The Nintendo Switch is on everybody's hot list, including our hottest tech gift guide. So I'm curious to know, what do you tell parents? Like, where should parents go? Obviously, your book is a great resource, but are there websites? Do you like Common Sense Media or do you use it? Like, where should parents go if they're not going to be playing the games themselves and they want to make sure they're picking the right games for their kids? Oh, there are so many resources. My book, of course, is a good resource to start with. There's a web site too called smartsocialgamers.com that I quite like. I've written a few articles for them. They have a lot of information and resources about online games and that's run by the International Games Association and they update it regularly. There's tips and resources and all sorts of things on there for parents. I think in terms of making sure they're picking the right game, again, and I'm going to go back to the ESRB age ratings, the content ratings, really look at them. I mean, my kid may want Grand Theft Auto and maybe he's 16 and maybe he's mature and he can handle it and that's fine. But it's about making that conscious decision and not just buying them what they put on their list. Yeah. And, and it's so right in front of us. Like we don't, it's not like you have to do a ton of research. You just have to read the jacket right. of the, the video right, game. Exactly. <laughs> and I go on Common Sense Media a lot. They give really good guidelines because I can look on Metacritic and kind of get a sense if a game is good yeah. as far as gamers think yeah. it's good. Gamers like you, Rachel. But I, <laughs> but if I go on Common Sense Media, I think between the editor reviews and the user reviews from kids and parents, I can generally get a pretty good sense of what seems appropriate and what seems fun and useful. And, you know, you can also get on YouTube. You can get on Twitch. You can watch people play these games. Um, 
five minutes, 10 minutes and really see what they're like and what it is you're buying for your child. Oh my gosh, we would be so cool, Liz. Can you imagine? We're doing video game research. So we're going to watch gamers playing games and our kids are going to be like, what? <laughs> you're so cool. You really are the cool moms. <laughs> are, the cool mom. are you kidding? We have video games at our house. We're cool moms. I That's know the way you're I see cool. It. My kids have video games. I don't really play them with them. But, you, you know, we talked about time, right? So parents are really obsessed with the amount of time the kids are playing video games and screen time in general. Like, it is a big deal. And, of course, there's the idea of, like, even though some video games you're up and moving, most of the time you're sitting down or standing, but still not really moving a lot. So are there tips or things that parents should think about when they're setting up their rules and boundaries about playing? I mean, you've talked about it needs to be one of many things kids do, but it's easy sometimes to just let them play because they're quiet and you can get stuff done. So what do you recommend? I have a three-year-old. Sometimes I let her play because it's quiet. Oh, no, you don't. You're a terrible (laughs) mother, Rachel. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I think that step one is that it's a privilege to play these games and not a right. I feel like a lot of kids think that just because everyone else is playing them for, you know, 10 hours a day, they should have the right to do that too. And that is not true. Again, it's about the balance. And I think what we should really be concerned about is just using common sense, right? So if on Christmas, you buy your children some new games and they want to play them 10 hours a day, we don't need to jump to conclusions that they're addicted. It could just be they're temporarily fixated. You know, it's their Christmas break. They have more time. The game is new. All is fine and well if they want to play the game for 10 hours a day for a couple days. But if they stop taking a shower or doing (laughs) their regular responsibilities, that's when you start to get concerned. And that's when you have to start and step in and say, wait a minute, this is a bit too much now. Once you start seeing it detrimentally affect other areas of their life is when the line has been crossed in terms of too much time. So they're not doing their homework. They're not doing their chores. They're not doing just the, the things that they need to do to get to, to live. They're just standing in front of the video right. game oh. console. It's <laughs> funny you mentioned that because my son just got mad and he has been dying for it. So he's been playing it more than my kids have played video games in a really long time. And it's funny because he had a half day today. So they played pretty much all afternoon. And then he was like, can I play again when I get home? And I'm like, man, no. (laughs) I think think all afternoon kind of constitutes enough time. But I like that approach. Liz, what do you do in your house? In terms of limiting time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not great with that. (laughs) I use the like kind of, oh, what time is it? Have you you been playing all night? Yeah, we should turn it off now. Like, really, I'm not that great. I lose track of time sometimes. But, you know, there are times that I'll say, like, okay, at 5 o'clock, we turn off screens. So I kind of look at games and screens as all-inclusive. Yeah, we do, too. We do, too. You know, because you get to a point where, like, my oldest daughter, who's 12, she's not as interested in playing games as being on social media. For her, that's the screen kind of addiction. My youngest, she can still play, like, Toka, all the Toka games, which I I love because they're, like, so cute and sweet and educational. And, you know, she's 10, and she's probably aging out of them, but she likes them. So I'm, like, less concerned about that. So for me, it's kind of screen time as a whole as opposed to gaming time. But I admit that I definitely am looser than I'd like to be. Sometimes like a lot of time flies by and you go, oh my God, we've had screens on for three hours. But you know what's really nice about the gaming? And I like to your defense, Liz, and maybe to mine too and other parents out there. Yeah, feel free to defend me. (laughs) I will. I will defend you. Maybe Rachel will too. Is that I do like 
that when my kids are gaming, oftentimes they're playing together and there aren't a lot of things that my kids do together. My, I have four kids, Rachel. They're 13, 10, 9, and 7. Oh, my goodness. And so, honestly, like between the 13 and the 7-year-old or the 9, there's just not a lot they can do together. So when they're all playing Minecraft together or they're all playing like Plants and Zombies, it's actually kind of cool. You know what? When we all played Nintendo 2DS, it yeah. was really fun. It was really fun. And so I think that there's something interesting about that. I mean, of course, anything can be taken to the extreme and be too much. But especially in a home where you've got kids with a wide age range or, hey, this, just in general, it's really cool to see kids playing together. And in many cases, it's a positive activity. I think that's a great point. Honestly, that's why Minecraft, we were big defenders of that when our kids were younger and they started playing because, you know, parents were like, oh, it's so addictive. And I was like, it is. But like, I could see my kids getting so creative with it and having relationship skills and working together collaboratively. And like, if someone burnt down somebody's base They'd be really upset to be careful with the fire. Like, I remember seeing them like developing some good skills actually using the game, and I didn't mind so much. I kind of miss that because they're not playing together so much anymore, especially because of the social media stuff. So, I I think that's a really good point. It's nice when we do things collaboratively, even like on the big screens. One of my favorite things is when we all play Little Big Planet together because it's a collaborative game. And so, basically, you can't move on to the next screen until everybody in your group has moved on. And so, of course, I'm the sucky one. and Hold yeah, everybody up say. and they have to help me. <laughs> but, you know, but they like that and it's fun and they get to be like, oh, mom's terrible and we get to help her. And like, there's something very bonding and connective about that. And I enjoy that time together. Yeah, it's fun. It's playful. That's what games are supposed to be. They're meant to be fun. Like, why would that in any way be bad? Yeah, no, I agree. Right? No, I think that's yeah. good. And we need more fun. Honestly, like, I think about it all the time. And I think about how, especially this time of year, but parents are so overwhelmed with everything. And we talk a lot about playing games with our kids, family screen time, whether it's watching movies, which obviously mm-hmm. isn't video gaming, but even playing games together. I think we need more play in our lives. And so video games can do that. Look, we just rationalized all of this ourselves so quickly. It was so easy to do. <laughs> we're like, we're going to play games forever. But Rachel, yes. can you answer a question? And I think every parent wants to know. Of course. Why are kids obsessed with all those gamers on YouTube that are playing <laughs> games? They're watching gamers play games. I'm always like, why don't you just go play that game? Just go play it yourself. You sound like the parents, by the way, who used to say to us, why are you watching the real world? You're watching people live their <laughs> yes. lives instead of you yes. living your life. That is the best analogy I've ever right? heard. Which turned into Big Brother, which turned into the Kardashians. Like, we just watch people live their lives on TV. So. I, I don't do it anymore. I am off reality television. So Me maybe too. if I went back on, I would understand why kids are, and, and, you know, even adults are obsessed with it. But what's what's the answer? Do you have an answer to this, Rachel? Why? Parents want to know. I think the key here is that to us, it just looks like they're watching someone else play games. But for them, I saw a really good quote on Reddit the other day. I was sifting through the Twitch forums and they said, we're not watching people play. We're joining in on their experience. Oh. They feel like they're becoming part of the experience, especially when it comes to Twitch or even YouTube personalities. You get to know them. It's almost like your personal tour guide. You know what? I have a great analogy for adults. Look at the popularity of Conan O'Brien's clueless gamer character. I love that. It's so (laughs) funny, right? Because we know him. We think he's hilarious. We get him. We know his humor. And all we're doing is watching him play video games. And that actually helps me 
understand why my kids yeah. like watching gamers Perfect. on YouTube. Yeah. Not that any of them are as good as Conan, but you know, to each her own. <sighs> no one could ever be as good as him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know. I always hear my kids laughing. So I feel like a lot of them are Aww. like, I, I like that idea that they're taking people along on their experience. I think yeah. that's, that's awesome. Yeah. And a lot of times too, for me, like there's one person on Twitch that I watch every once in a while and it's because he plays like the expert end level of games that I have zero time to ever get to ever on my own. Oh, that's kind of cool. I could see the appeal to that yeah. where you're like, yeah, I'm never going to be playing it this long. So you, you solve it, dude, and I will watch you. <laughs> I can see what's there. Exactly. That's exactly right. Awesome. Um, so listen, I know you're going to stick around for cool picks of the week, which is awesome. I can't wait yes. to hear yours. But before we do, do you have any final words of advice for parents who are trying to navigate this video game world with their kids and just you know, we just want to be good parents and make good choices. I know. We all want to do that. Parenting is so hard. <laughs> yes. My advice to parents would be, it's okay. <laughs> it's not all black and white. It's not all bad. I feel like video games have such a bad reputation. And at the end of the day, they're meant to be fun. They're designed to be fun for us to be doing it together, to be enjoying it. And I think once we stop segregating video games as something completely separate and start thinking of it as analogous to board games or playing sports or, I mean, it's a little more sedentary than that, but um, it's just one other leisure activity that we can enjoy together, then we can start to understand it a bit more. And I just want parents to feel empowered that it's not all doom and gloom. Of course, there's some things to look out for, as with anything. I love that you're saying this. You know, Krista and I always say this, my mom's best advice. Yes. People ask us all the time, you know, on morning shows or when we do articles, what's the best parenting advice you ever got? And I say the same thing I've been saying for 12 years that my mom said to me, just know, she said this as soon as I had a baby, as a parent, whatever choice you make is the right choice. And whatever choice you make is the wrong choice. <laughs> no. Once you know that, you're yes. all set. And so it sounds like yeah. you're kind of saying the same thing. Like, yeah. just go with it. We'll make mistakes and we'll learn. And whatever you do, you're not going to like completely ruin your kids. Correct. <laughs> Amen to that. Yay. All right. Well, Rachel, let's tell people where they can find you. Of course, everyone, pick up Rachel's book, A Parent's Guide to Video Games. It's a quick, easy read. It's a great reference book. You'll breeze through it, which is nice because parents are busy right now. But where else, if parents have questions for you or they want to get more information about your research and what you're up to, where can they find you? Um, I have a website. It's rcoert.com. So R-K-O-W-E-R-T.com. Um, I blog there regularly and I also do a monthly column, Ask Dr. Rachel. Information on that is also on my website. So if you have any direct questions, you can ask me. Awesome. Thank you. That sounds great. Thank you. I'm so glad you're going to stick around for Cool Picks of the Week and we'll hear <laughs> yep. more about those right after this. Hey, look who's back as our sponsor. Wait. Is it Homer? It is. Oh, my gosh. Know. If we have any listeners out there who don't know about Homer, then I'll be shocked. I know, but it's so awesome. I know. So why not? And with everyone getting all those gadgets for the holidays, it's a perfect gift. I know you all know this by now, but it's an awesome learn to read app for kids two to eight. It's fun. It's proven to increase reading scores by 74% in a study conducted by the former U.S. Assistant Secretary of Education. And that's saying something. It is for real. But also Homer lets kids pursue their passions and interests and they get to have fun, which is important to get kids to start reading and continue reading. But you know, what? Research says kids do well when they're reading stuff they're interested in. Yes. And so why make them read about handbags? <sighs> 
Oh, you know, when I was a kid, I thought that going to the garden store with my parents was hell on earth. And so anything that had to do with gardens, gardening, bulbs, or flowers, I hated as a kid. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) But you know what? Ballerinas, I would have been all over that. So don't get you a gardening book. Don't get me a gardening book on Homer. I would like it now, but as a kid, I wouldn't have liked it. And I think that's what's cool about Homer is they're not like, you must read about gardening right now. (laughs) They're like, no, you can read about baseball or you can read about trucks or you can read about superheroes. Yeah. And they take the learning offline too. So kids are going to get access to hundreds of printable worksheets, mazes, puzzles, and other activities. And parents can track progress, which is, you know what? That's really important. You want to know that your kids are doing well. You don't want the surprise. Like I was just at my kids' conferences and thankfully they're doing well. You know, fourth kid, you don't know how she's doing with reading, but you know what? She is using Learn With Homer. So I did know how she was going to do. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. It's a crystal ball. It's a success story, Kristen. <laughs> you need to give them like a blurb for their website. I know. I know. Plus, you know what? It's priced really well. I love it. Four kids can learn at a time on the same membership for just $7.99 a month. And here's what's even better. Free. Free stuff, right? Yeah, for two months. So Spawned listeners get an exclusive two-month free trial. Normal subscribers only get 30 days. And since you guys are not normal in the best possible ways, 60 days for you. Free. So go to learnwithhomer.com slash Spawned. Give it a try for two months on that shiny new gadget. And you know what? Help your kids read for the new year. Fantastic. Yay. So Liz, we are welcoming a new sponsor, mybabygift.com. Do you know what they offer at their store? Okay. I am going to use my not quite a PhD in (laughs) psychic telepathy, which is a thing. And uh, I'm going to say they sell baby gifts. You are correct. Baby and newborn gifts. But that would have been a way too long URL. So this one's perfect. (laughs) They're really affordable. And I love that they have personalized gifts because we always talk about how that makes gifts so much nicer. And the fact that they have like all these lovely handcrafted gift sets and you can put the baby's name right on them and it doesn't cost a lot of money. Very cool idea. Yeah. New mom or new parent tip. Moms love stuff with their baby's name on it. I don't know. Especially names now are so unique. Like I have Quinlan. You can't find anything with Quinlan on it. Even Margo and Bridget. So I always loved it when people gave me baby gifts that had my kid's name on it. Plus, you know, you're super sleep deprived and sometimes you just need to look over at the ones that remember your kid's (laughs) name. It's got that other bonus, too. And, you know, we don't talk about that a lot. That's really an underrated benefit of getting a personalized baby gift. It helps you remember your baby's name. (laughs) That is perfect. You're helping a new mom out, and she needs all the help you can get. They've got blankets, towels, onesies that are all very carefully and beautifully embroidered with the baby's name, of course, which is a perfect keepsake. And the holidays are such a great time. Did you see those adorable little pants, though? Aren't they so cute? Those little Christmas pants? The ones that you showed me with, like the little moose on it. I know they're really cute. I know. (laughs) You can pair them with like a baby's first Christmas onesie or, you know, like Liz said, put their name on it in very big block letters so uh, everyone knows their name. Yeah, the thing is, I don't always like buying kind of Christmas shirts for my kids because it's like, eh, they're going to grow out of them. But with baby clothes, they're going to grow out of it anyway in three months. So you might as well get like all the holiday stuff. Yeah, and the prices are insane. So the stuff is now up to 50% off. Plus, you can get free shipping on orders over $40. But you Bond listeners get an extra 15% off your order at mybabygift.com with code COOLBABY. That's all caps. So if you're shopping for someone who has a baby or you have a baby and you're shopping for yourself. Or you just like want baby clothes around the house for no reason at all except they smell nice and look pretty. Mybabygift.com. Yep. Mybabygift.com. And make sure you use code COOLBABY to save an extra 15% off your order. 
All right. Well, now it's time for Cool Picks of the Week. Cool Picks of the Week. And Rachel, you get to go first. You're our guest. What you got for us? All right. I have a Netflix series that I am currently obsessed with. (gasps) I'm so excited. Okay, me too. The new season comes out at the end of this month. It is called Black Mirror. (gasps) My favorite! Oh, no way! (laughs) Yes, I was was actually going to bring it up during our video game talk because of the episode of the creepy, awful one about the kid. It was the scariest one where he goes in for video game testing. I don't want to give anything else away. Oh, God. It was bad. (laughs) But you, like, I was totally thinking about that. (laughs) It is so good. Now, it's not a bingey show because you don't feel particularly great after every episode. I agree with that. I watched the first episode and I was like, okay, I need, I need a year break. (laughs) Don't start with the first episode. That's my second season. Yes. (laughs) Start with the new season. Start with season three. Those are a little more palatable, but each episode is entirely separate and they all kind of tap into our fears of new technology and really bring up questions about where do we want our technology to go and what repercussions will this have and I just think it's Charlie Brooker is the guy who developed it I just think it's such a fantastic show I love you for picking this we should like watch the next (laughs) season together I mean it oh we should we always describe it as like the twilight zone with technology so I think that's a good way for people who haven't seen it yet and like you said the third season's a little lighter I would start with San Junipero that was my absolute favorite (laughs) one one happy one (laughs) then it's all downhill from I know it's true but it's so good it's but it's kind of like you know in the twilight zone they had that one episode of like the adults who wanted to be little kids again and that was very different than like you know the plane with like the monster on the wing yeah. <laughs> so I like that they change it up but oh that one with the video game one really like I had trouble with that that really freaked me what are me you guys out. gonna start talking about Stranger Things now too just keep talking Ooh. about stuff I have no clue about <laughs> Whoa, whoa, whoa. You need to watch Black Mirror. I watched one episode and it freaked me out. What, what? The Prime Minister one? Yeah. No, I watched the one about the likes where you had to have a rating, like, to go oh, places. Uh-huh. That oh, that freaked you out? Oh, no, that's a mild one, girl. Yeah, that's oh, really yeah. No, I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to just pick out, like, three for you that I think won't freak you out too much. And you got to watch San Junipero. I don't want to okay. say anything else. It's really lovely and wonderful and, like, Kleenex wonderful. Well, maybe we'll just put a call to listeners. If I hear from enough listeners that tell me I need to watch Black Mirror. I've got Rachel, who has a PhD. Liz, who doesn't have a PhD, but pretty much has a PhD in technology and Netflix. Liz, you have a doctorate (laughs) in Netflix. So if any other listeners want me to watch Black Mirror, go ahead, email us, and I will give it a try. And Rachel, I mean it. I'm having you back, and we're just going to do a total Black Mirror episode. Oh, can we? Oh, please. I would love that. So, Kristen, how about you? What's your cool pick? Yeah, my cool pick, actually, are our cool mom tech gift guides. I figure that would be very on theme here since we're talking about video games. And of course, we are going to share our favorite video games and gamer picks. But the one I wanted to call out specifically is a post that's all about our favorite digital subscriptions. So I feel like this year in particular, people are like, we have a lot of stuff. So let's give people subscriptions so that we're not giving them more stuff. So by subscriptions, I mean like Hulu and Netflix and, you know, like our sponsor Learn with Homer or Skillshare. Texture. Yeah, for, or yeah, like, for all different magazines and newspaper reading. Exactly, I love that. exactly. So I think this is such a great post because I know there's a lot of people out there and I feel like people are a little scared. They're like, I can't, I don't want to give Netflix or Hulu. Dude, that's a great gift. It it's is. So it's so awesome. Gift. It's a great gift for families. It's affordable. People will thank you because I just think people want these kinds of things. And by the way, there's a variety. There's stuff for kids on this list. It's a big list, right? It's How a many big items list. It's there? like 23 different ideas of all really? digital subscriptions. And there's 
like movies and games and all kinds of cool stuff. So go to Cool Mom Tech. We'll link all of this up, by the way. Everything, Rachel's book, everything we've talked about on our podcast page. But seriously, the Cool Mom Tech holiday gift guides, this one in particular, I really like. I think I'm going to get my mom Netflix. I'm going to bring her into the 21st century. (laughs) But I won't be telling her to watch Black Mirror. I can tell you that much. All right, Liz, what about you? What do you got? I am also picking a website, but it is not ours. So with the holidays here, and a lot of people are doing travel, I want to give a shout out to mommypoppins.com, which is run by our friend Anna Fader. It is, well, I described it a long time ago as the non-pretentious New York City parenting guide. (laughs) It's like all the fun stuff to do around New York. It's such a good description. And it's not like, oh, you must do this like million dollar thing and have tea at the plaza with your kids. You know, like it's very common sense and down to earth. And I love, you know, for all the people traveling to New York, they do post like 21 New York City holiday activities. Every kid should try once or, you know, like what are the tips for seeing Santa at Macy's, like one of the best times to go or what neighborhoods you should go to in Brooklyn to see the Christmas lights all crazy. So I love that. But the cool thing is they also are, you know, beyond New York City now. Yes, lots of cities. Philly for you, Kristen. Oh, yeah. And then like the greater New York areas in New Jersey, Westchester, Long Island. I think they're in Houston now. So if you're in any of those cities or traveling to them over the holidays, um, I always tell people like just if you're coming to New York and you want to know what to do, just go to Mommy Poppins and you'll find something cool. So that's my cool pick of the week. I love it. I'm a fan of Mommy Poppins myself. And I'm actually in New York frequently enough. And I think I need to check it out. So awesome. Thank you so much. And Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. This is awesome. Such great information. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. And thanks so much for joining us for another episode of Spawn. And huge thanks to our engineer, John Bowen. And hey, we love hearing from you, our listeners, as you know. So please leave us a review on iTunes. That's one way we can hear from you. Or you can hit us up at Spawn at coolmompics.com. You can find us on social media at coolmompics. And hey, you can find us on iTunes, as you probably know, because you're probably there right now. And make sure to subscribe to Spawn. In fact, do it right now this very second. Download our episodes so you can catch us offline and then you'll never miss one. And wish us a happy holidays by doing all that stuff. That's your gift to us. We're easy to please. <laughs> we, like we, are. we have too much stuff too. That's true. Just <laughs> like us. That's all we want. Like <laughs> Just like everybody, Kristen. We're just human. We want to be like. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of Spawn. This is Kristen. And this is Liz. Have a great day. Bye.